Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast and I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Danny Scott who's the Digital Marketing Manager for the Scottish Book Trust which aims to encourage reading and writing particularly among young people. Danny is also an author in his own right and has written a six book series for children, the Scotland Stars FC series which tells the story of the main character Callum through his love of playing football. Well, the books also tackle a whole range of important subjects for children. And in terms of his own love of football, when he's not promoting books or writing them, Danny can be found playing in goals for the Scottish writers team. Danny, thanks for joining us on the Read All About It podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. Uh, delighted to be here. I'm not sure if from the introduction people might think we're either going to be talking all night about books or all night about football, or maybe it's going to be a combination of both. Uh, sounds pretty accurate. Um, in terms of, you know, obviously uh, I mentioned there that you work for the, the Scottish Book Trust and the whole ethos of, of it is to encourage people to read, encourage people to write. Obviously that's a challenging job, but I'm guessing as somebody who, who loves books, who loves reading and loves writing, there's an element where that's a labour of love as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's always good to work in an area where you have a passion, as you probably well know, uh, writing for Celtic. But if you truly believe in what you're doing, and I truly believe in the power of books to change lives and the power of writing to change lives too. So to do that for a living is a natural fit. And in terms of, you know, wanting to write your own books, and I mentioned you'd written this series of books, which again, I've, I've thought, you know, I think when you first brought them out, we did a, an interview and a feature on the books in, in the Celtic View, because I just think that idea of taking sport, taking football and trying to encourage young people to read is just a brilliant thing to do. And, and is that something that came about as a result of your work? Is it something that was always in the back of your mind that you wanted to do? Yeah, I think I always wanted to write children's books, but it can be quite intimidating to try and figure out how to do that uh, as an outsider to the publishing industry. But I was lucky enough to be approached by someone I knew who worked at Kelpies, which is Scotland's largest publisher of children's books. And part of the ethos is to write books that are set here in Scotland, so because they believe strongly, and I believe it too, that if children can see themselves in books, then it'll give them greater self-esteem. Because when I was growing up, all the books I read were predominantly set perhaps in the south of England or somewhere around there that I couldn't readily identify with um, yeah. someone growing up in Pennycook in Midlothian. It was a sort of former mining town and uh, not particularly like the setting of those books or some vague sort of London setting. So when that came about, they, they got in touch and said, we'd like to set a series of books uh, set in the central belt in Scotland featuring a boy called Callum uh, who loves football, but he's football mad. And they're going to be chapter books for six to eight-year-olds. And I thought, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, what do you need? And they, they just they, they asked for a short story. So I came up with a story where a, a boy was sitting next to his dad watching a Scotland game, but uh, playing his Nintendo Switch. There was a lightning uh, strike that hit the house, and it switched control of Scotland to the boy. And he started to control Scotland through his Nintendo <laughs> Switch. <laughs> but his dad was none the wiser. Um, <laughs> So the boy suddenly felt a lot of pressure to try and get Scotland to qualify finally for a, a major championship. And Kelpies liked that. And so I was invited to write those those books, which became the Scotland Stars FC series. And um, they've taken me to some great places. And I have seen what you talked about firsthand, that 
there's those quite often boys, but sometimes not the more reluctant readers who come into an event. And it's like, oh, this is an author event. This is not for me. And then they come in and they see me standing there with uh, my set of goals, a football and a replica World Cup. And they think, oh, hang on. <laughs> this yeah. could be fun. So I managed to get quite a lot about books and that how exciting they can be into the event, as well as, you know, talking about sport and football. And they, I think they are more able to express themselves in that sort of setting, but also engage with books in a way that they hadn't perhaps done before. It's funny, I, I remember years ago in my job at the Celtic View, we did a, a competition, a writing competition. And as part of that, we would go out to schools, primary and secondary schools, and just talking to the kids about importance of reading, the importance of writing, how you would write a match report and, and that stuff. And I remember particularly maybe maybe slightly older kids, like secondary school, and I would do I would come in, do the talk, and then afterwards a few times teachers said, That was amazing. They were so focused and concentrated. It was great. And I was thinking, that's because it's football. That's because it's you've you've engaged them <laughs> in something that's interested. And then as a result, they're then and you'll you'll know that a lot better than me. It's something that's in, and then they don't realise that they're talking about books, they're talking about writing, they're talking about reading. And not in a dry way, and suddenly, hopefully, in the you know, especially at that young age, where your books are aimed at, that something clicks into place, and you've maybe created readers for life, even at that young age. That would be the ideal, definitely. And I think that's people can be a little bit sniffy about sport and sport and books. So I always say that to my, to the kids in my event. If you're reading, if you want to read about swimming, or if it's football for you, or magic, or magical adventures, or myth, then you go and find those books because reading should be fun it's not a chore so if you're reading about something you really enjoy then that is going to be fun and that's going to excite you Uh, and reading should never be presented as a task to children and I think it sometimes is and adults can maybe think that reading about football isn't reading but as long as the kids are engaged with some sort of text magazines fiction even websites or blogs then that's a fantastic achievement I think and that's what I hope the books do like is that uh, is it Tony Morrison who said write the book that you'd want to read for me, I wrote the books that I would have wanted to read as a child. These are the books that I would have gobbled up. It's funny that even that, when you're saying that, like, that sort of advice you'd give to kids, I think that advice would apply to adults as well. That either fallen out of love with reading or, or don't read it. It should be fun. It, it's not a chore. It's a choice and it should be something that you enjoy. Exactly, yeah. And it can be quite... I, I, think, there's some, I think it's maybe just the way it has been taught for a long time. Because you speak to adults and you say, do you, so do you like books? He says, oh, well, I read, but not really. I mean, I, I read crime fiction, but not, I don't really read proper books. And you think, no, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Exactly. And they might gobble them up like four books a month, but they don't see it as good books, which is just, is a real shame, I think. And I think as long as you're reading and enjoying the, what you're reading, then that's fantastic. You're getting, so, you're getting so much out of that. Exactly. So that's the first, uh, the first great lesson for everybody to listen to this podcast. And you know, it doesn't matter. I, I, I totally agree with you. No matter what you're reading, if, as long as you're reading, I think that's a that's a great thing. Yeah, and I think I've had that feedback quite a lot from parents and teachers and letters and emails to say that Lewis or We John or that just did not like reading at all, but he's blazed through your books because he loves football and he loves playing for his local boys club. And that's the best feedback. That's always the best feedback. Yeah, I can imagine that must feel absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I got one, uh, received a letter from a kid in uh, Oregon <laughs> just Wait, before no. Christmas. Yeah, I uh, still, I need to find out. Uh, oh, no, I did I, No, I did find out. I found out why that happened. I think the, the teacher's wife is Scottish and she brought the books back over with her and gave them to the teacher who sounded like an incredible teacher. And he, as part of the the reading exercise made all these pupils write letters to their favourite authors. So I got this letter from a, 
a kid out in um, Oregon oh, or Washington incredible. State. Yeah, it was. It was great. I, it was. Uh, it almost topped the time that someone in Australia dressed up as Callum for World Book Day. That was. Uh, <laughs> that was also great. That is going a, to Scottish. Yeah, going to Scottish diaspora. <laughs> um, in terms of obviously your own uh, literary life, your own book journey, which I'm going to take you on now and take you all the way back to your childhood and ask you to pick your favourite book from childhood. I should say, when you sent me through your choices, it was almost like a wee disclaimer saying, as soon as I've sent these, I'm not want to change them. But I, I think that's the nature of this. As soon as you've made the choices, you want, to, you want to choose something else. But the one that you've chosen for this category is Danny Champion of the World by Roald Dahl. Yeah, this is one that probably wouldn't change. This is, for me, the perfect children's book. And it's one, as a Danny myself, that uh, I took my name from, I think. It was my dad's choice. And he told the story of when I was born, he ran out from the hospital. I think it was still in Marchmont or some, no, it was Simpsons by the Meadows. And he ran to the nearest bookshop and bought my mum a copy of Danny Champion of the World and gave it to her to read as she was recovering from, from childbirth. Because he said, this is, this is why I wanted this name. He was, my dad was an English teacher, and so he, books were quite important to him too. That's incredible, I mean, that is, that's incredible actually, that you're, you're actually named. So, so obviously, you would have no other choice for this category but that book. Yeah, but I, just, I think on many levels, it is, it's quite a unique book in that it depicts a father-son relationship. I can't think of many children's books that have that at their heart. Quite often children's books, the, a lot of the drama intention is born from the children being out on their own and the parents aren't there, they aren't present. Uh, the only exceptions to that may be the Moomins, which are one happily fam- happy family, but all the other ones are, the children are sort of set forth into the world, were orphaned or their parents are lost or they become lost themselves, like Harry Potter's taken out and has to fend for himself in this new world. But in Danny Champion of the World, the central relationship is that between Danny and his father, and that really struck a chord with me from quite a young age, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm guessing that part of your that love of books, then the fact that your dad is an English teacher, the fact that you're, you're named after an old Dal book, was it just something that you grew up with this in, in a house of books and, and, you know, reading was obviously so much, you know, part and parcel of family life? It was until I became a teenager, yes. We were definitely encouraged to read, and my dad uh, was always trying to find the books that we'd like. Um, and it, it was, I like Diggers, Truckers and Wings and Choose Your Own Adventure books and the Dick King Smith books. They were a big factor, but it was the Roald Dahl books that really stood out. And I think, because I was really close to my dad as a boy, so I think that Danny the Champion of the World was, there's something about that book that really, that, that really appealed. I fell off the, the reading wagon when I got to high school. I became a reluctant reader then, but that experience maybe helped me more become more sympathetic as an adult towards children and teenagers going through that. And my dad did despair at that. He did despair. I suppose um, if you've, as long as you've got that foundation, it's, you, you'll go back to it. Yeah. And I've said that to parents since that they said, oh, I can't, my daughter shall read and read and read, but my son just won't read or I can't get my teenagers to read. And I said, did, well, did they like books at primary school? Did they like it as a child? And they said, yes. Yeah. Oh, they'll find their way back. They'll find their way back. Because it's just funny, and again, I've, I'll not go through this story again in the podcast, because everybody that listens regularly have probably heard it about my son, who's in his 20s now, and he doesn't read books at all, but he never did really, even when, when he was wee, you know, whether he'll rain or shine, he just wanted to go out and play football, he wanted to go out and play with his pals, and he never, he, he just never really engaged with books the way that one of my daughters did. You know, there's, there's a house full of books, and he may, at some point, turn to them, he may not, I, 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 you know, I'm okay with it either way. Yeah, he just needs to fall in love with someone who loves books. That's that's what you need. Well, I have yeah. said that before. It'll be it'll be trying to impress someone. 
that that usually is a big motivating factor. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned obviously, you know, that's the the old Dal book for a whole variety of reasons why you've chosen it. But did you, when you were younger, did you read all his books then? And you know, was he a particular favourite author? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a big one, and the BFG. And I recently reread a couple of them because there was a lot of research floating about at Scottish Book Trust about the the power of reading to your children while they're still in the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, so while my wife was pregnant a few years ago, I read uh, a couple of Roald Dahl books to my daughter while she was still in there, just lasting at night. And we, we, we got through a couple of them, read Danny Champion of the World. And I hadn't actually realised that uh, the BFG appears in Danny Champion of the World. Dad reads a story about a giant who blows dreams into children's head at night, heads at night. And that became then, that became the BFG as a full-blown book in its own right. So we, we read Danny the Champion of the World first, obviously, as my favourite children's book, and then we moved on to the BFG. But it's just the language and the, the, the sheer wonder of the ideas, I think, that really just stick with you with Roald Dahl. If your daughter, so, obviously, turns out to be a, a voracious reader, you, you're taking all the credit for that then? Absolutely. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> but it was, I'd swear by any parent that was listening to this, or soon-to-be parent that's listening to this, we gave it a try and you can feel a bit self-conscious, but we actually ended up in an emergency C-section and my daughter and I got taken through when she came out, it was touch and go for a while that she'd come out safely. And she came out and she was put under the heat lamp and she was crying and disoriented, obviously, after being pulled into the world like that. And I was a bit self-conscious with the nurses, but as soon as I spoke, she just stopped crying, opened her eyes and just stared up at me. And I thought, oh my goodness, she might have got that anyway because of hearing my voice around the house. But... I'd like to think that the books played some part in that too. And that was quite a moment. Yeah. That that's first in, moment. Yeah. That's in, I mean, that's incredible. Obviously it's, it's emotional enough when, when your child comes into the world, but when that, that instant spark of recognition. Yeah. Cause nothing about the birth had been easy up to that point. So it's that first moment of calm. And I think books can bring that to many situations, a moment of calm and peace. In terms of, obviously that's your favorite book from childhood. If we go into your, your favorite kind of teenage student formative, Year's book. It's a Jack Kerouac book, the, the Dharma Bums. And I'm hoping, given the fact that your dad named you after Danny, when you, when you stopped reading books, I hope he didn't start calling you a Dharma Bum. No, he didn't call me a Dharma Bum. He called me some other things. He called me Stupid Boy quite a bit because he liked his dad's army. But um, yeah, I, I fell off the reading wagon quite badly in my teen years. And he wouldn't, he just, he couldn't get his head around it. But he kept trying to, you know, he'd put the sports section in front of me to read match reports or he'd try and find me books that I might like. Although when it came to doing my RPR for Higher English, he, he suggested I do How Late It Was, How Late by James Kelman, which really? wasn't a good choice. <laughs> it wasn't a good choice for a lapsed reader because it was uh, written purely in Scots and quite quite hard to follow. It's quite an advanced book. So yeah. I ended up doing Laidlaw, uh, which was a lot easier. But this book I read as quite a late adolescent, so early 20s. And I sometimes regret not having read it earlier. I, I think I got to Kerouac too late to truly embrace what he can maybe bring to your life in terms of cutting loose for a bit. And just following the open road. Because it's funny that quite a few people on the podcast, Kerouac comes up quite a lot. And obviously on the road, I don't think that one's come up so far. But it depends on when people, you know, the people that have chosen it as a favourite book, they've tended to be a bit younger. If, if they've came to it a bit later, sometimes they have, it has an adverse reaction on them. Yeah, I think so. I think that's sometimes why I don't like to rewatch films or reread books from my youth, because I just think they might spoil them as an adult, because these characters that you revered as a a youth or a, a teen, you might read it as a, a middle-aged adult and go, oh, what an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I quite, I quite like to keep it as a perfect memory. But I read it at a good time. I was just, I was living in Newcastle at the time and it was uh, a mixture between 
trying to find who I was as a person versus going out and just drinking too much at the weekend because that's that's Newcastle and that was the age I was at so it just helped me and I think that's that's what the central character in the book's going through too is stepping between heading out into the mountains and being part of the beat scene and a lot of crazy parties in San Francisco and I just quite like that blend of the narrative with the philosophical. Have you ever revisited it at all have you ever gone back and, and, and read it later on? No but thinking about it for this podcast I think it started a thread for me of books that the, a, a sort of strand of reading, if you like. So I went from this to Laurie Lee as I walked out one some midsummer morning, yep. and then from that to kind of uh, findings of Kathleen Jamie's writings and sightlines and those great books. And I'm keep I'm trying to find the perfect moment to read The Old Ways by Robert McFarlane because I just think I'm going to absolutely love it, but I just can't find the right holiday or time and space to read it. But I just I think it opened up that wanting to maybe not just purely exist to go out and get drunk and hang out with friends all the time and maybe see, search for something a bit deeper meaning in things and that's what that book meant to me it might not be the book i most enjoyed at that age i mean i like i read a lot of bukowski in my early 20s and really enjoyed those because they were a bit hard nosed and yeah. tough and fun uh, like post office and factotum and those books but i think this one just opened me up to a different way of thought i think in some ways i don't even think i need to read it again if that makes sense it just I'm always curious when people, you know, that way when they choose books from certain stages in their life and you already mentioned it, that there's that worry that if you do go back, it spoils that perfect memory. In that category, my book would be Catch-22 because I remember getting it for higher English and just absolutely loving it. And I read it on holiday a couple of years ago and that was the first time in, in a lot of years. I actually, I was glad or relieved. I still loved it when, when I read it again. So... <laughs> That had a, a massive impact on me, but that's a crucial age as well. You know, obviously when you're young, but as you say, you maybe turned away from books for a while, but then that sometimes something just points you back in the right direction. That was actually the most crucial book in terms of getting back into reading was actually um, A Time to Kill by John Grisham. My dad had been getting all the John Grisham books out of the library and he, as he's still trying to get me back into reading. And this was, it was about 18 at the time, but facing a long bus journey to and from university. Uh, and he goes, go on, give this one a try. I think you'll enjoy it. And I, yeah. I was reading it and it, it just got to so many points where no matter what I was doing, I just couldn't wait to get back in the bus and continue reading again. I thought, oh, that's why I love reading. It's that sense of anticipation that you just can't wait to be back, just you and your book. And I kind of miss that now, now it's you and your book and your phone. That was that serious commitment to a book that you had when you had a long commute or something like that. And it was, you know, you'd miss a couple of stops or a, my bus stop at my dad's house was quite near the terminus. So I'd maybe just go past the house wait when the bus in the terminus and then get off on the way back round. Because he, he must have been delighted then when you when you started reading again. He, he was, yeah. And I was too, I think, because we could start, I found we had the new things to talk about and then talk about with both parents because they both loved books. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't feel so much like the black sheep of the family anymore. Funny when you're talking about, you know, reading on the bus and what have you. And I had this, and everybody's listening, they can take this idea for a, for a book if they want. It was like a book of photography photographs of people reading in public because you know like the number of times if you if you're on a bus now you're on a train or sitting in a cafe 90-95% of people are just on their phone now they might be reading for all I know chances are they're just scrolling through you know social media but it's, it's nice when you see somebody actually just sitting there with a physical book so my idea was just like photographs of people just reading a physical book in these settings particularly because they just kind of stand out now I've never done anything about it because I'm always a bit wary of you just suddenly start taking random pictures of people. So There, there was a Twitter feed because I do the social media at Scottish Book Trust and there was a Twitter feed that had um, 
I think it was hot guys reading on public transport <laughs> in, in, in New York, and it's just pictures of guys reading on public transport for people to enjoy that. That, that wasn't the, that wasn't the name of my book. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't think it was. Paul. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think you're right. I think uh, even that time when I was going to university, you'd think, oh, what's this book that I see on the bus? The Da Vinci Code. Wow, everyone seems to be reading that." And then even up to one day, you'd suddenly become aware of a book because you'd see the cover on the bus or the train. You just see it about or in cafes. I'm not sure that happens anymore. I mean, I still I still think it's funny. I, I think people still read, but there's just a habit of forming it's, it's you know that way if you go out with a group of people or, or when everybody used to go out to restaurants in the good old days and you may be with a group of about eight people everybody sits down and the first thing they do is everybody gets their phone out before they even start talking to each other which i always find quite strange but certainly in public transport i still i, I still would take a, an actual book with me i always prefer the mm. the physical book um, yeah absolutely you never leave the house without a paperback in your pocket yeah i feel a bit naked if i go out without a book i think because it's like if they, even if I'm driving somewhere to take a book, because I know if the car breaks down, there's going to be nothing else to do but but read. It's funny. One of the guests, previous guests in the podcast, uh, girl Alison McConnell, who's a, a journalist, and she she usually has about two or three books on the go, and like that one in her car. She's one downstairs. She's one upstairs if she can't be walking back downstairs to get the one. But it's like that if you're if, you know when you're stuck in the car for whatever reason, you always want to have something to read. Yeah, yeah. Secretly, can't wait for my daughters that become old enough for swimming lessons or whatever lessons football matches football practice so i can just sit in the car and read for 45 minutes <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> i just can't wait because <laughs> i don't have it. a cycle to work now so i've got no windows and she's three so i've got no chance just no uh, chance it'll not be too long it'll not be too long i know i know i know So you're listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddehy, and my guest, Danny Scott. And Danny, we're on to your third book choice in the podcast, and that is a, a book that you'd recommend to anyone, and the book that you've chosen is Friday Night Lights by H.G. Bissinger. People who don't like sport might think, well, yeah, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> Why would you recommend it to anyone? But I think it's there's a sort of universalism to this book. Uh, in short, it's about a journalist. It's a, it's a, sorry, it's a narrative nonfiction book. So it's a journalist who in 1988 decided to embed himself in a town, uh, a blue collar town called Odessa in Texas because of their uh, high school football team where 20,000 people would turn up at each Friday night to watch the high school football team play and had won several state and national championships. The town lived for its American football team and he went in to write a kind of journal of that but ended up becoming quite critical of how such celebrity for just one year of these kids' lives would warp the the rest of their lives. And he began to discover things like distasteful things around how they set the school boundaries to because they're quite proud that their high school team was predominantly white and they would set the boundaries to make sure that the African American kids would go to a different high school. And it just instead of being this sort of celebration of high school high school football, it kind of became how those Friday night lights led the town into darkness. And it was, it's just a fantastic, fantastic read, really soulfully written, and it really takes you into the, the hearts and minds of each of the players on that high school football team. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it was um, named as the fourth best sports book of all time by Sports Illustrated in, towards the turn of the century, I think. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And I think you can see its influence everywhere. It was made into a film with Billy Bob Thornton. It's a really good adaptation that was 
that then led into a TV series that's been on Netflix and so on, Friday Night Lights, uh, with Kyle Chandler. And I think it's inspired a whole, gen- whole generations of writers, sports writers, like Tim Parks. I don't know if you've ever read The Season, in- a season with Verona. I have, Tim yes. Parks, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's very similar to that. It's just one season and everything that's going on around the sports team in that season. What I liked when I was just looking through your choices and, and that one stood out as, you know, the, that's the book I'm definitely going to read after we finish this podcast because I think high school sport in America and college sport in America is a phenomenon and my my son-in-law is from Michigan and you know I spoke to him a couple of times about it about how the, the identity well well obviously a, a state will have the big you know American football team that's statewide but even people if there's a college or a university in their town, even if they've never been to that college or university, that becomes their team and they identify it. And obviously high school as well, it becomes part of the town's identity. It becomes the team that they support. And as you say, it becomes more than just sport. That isn't always a good thing. And the pressures on those kids, what it can do to them and what it does to people, it's, that's what fascinates me just about what to read this book. I think it's quite a crushing thing. And that thing of peaking in high school, I think, is true for quite a lot of the quite a lot of the players. But even the players, there's just some great characters. There's, um, I just jotted a few of the names down, but there's Brian Chavez who goes on to Harvard after he leaves the high school, but he I think is still nostalgic for that year as a an elite athlete in that town. And there's just so many memorable characters, like Gary Gaines as the coach, but he's this sensitive, deep thinking coach who cares deeply about the players and. And then you've got Ivory Christian, who's a religious linebacker who hits people really hard, but is deeply religious. And a lot of the time thinks that he shouldn't be spending, devoting so much time to sport when he should be spending more time devoted to Christianity. There's just so many phenomenal characters in it like that. Uh, and you've got this tearaway running back who comes as a bit of a womanizer and a hard drinker outside the school. And uh, even the running back, Booby Miles, who is looks set to get a scholarship most likely to get a scholarship who's um, an African-American kid and tears his knee up in pre-season and that just changes the course of his life forever. So there's all these competing storylines and all set against this incredible setting of this West Texas, or is it West or East? One part of Texas where the oil f- fields are just drying up around this place and the jobs are just disappearing. So this beacon, this uh, high school football team is all that's got left. It's just a wonderful book. I think that's one thing that just makes a book stand out for me more than anything else is just that sense of setting, that sense of place that I just love so much. And it's the same with um, Danny Champion of the World, actually. that It's got a real sense of setting and place. The setting's a character too. I also think as well that the best sports books, the sport is, is part of it, but it's actually the, it's the human stories, it's the characters within it. That's what's the interesting thing. that the, I'm guessing this book, the actual game itself, there's probably minimal in that because that's not that's not what the story is. No, but he does write the the action scenes very very well. <laughs> There's the sports scenes are really compelling. But you're right. That's I think that's I get that across to when I do my school events. I say sport is nothing without storyline. Sport is all about narrative. And if you don't have if you don't know the stories behind the players, you don't know the, the stories, the, the history of the rivalry, the history of the fixture, the history of this manager versus that manager, the history of the competition itself, then it becomes more, it becomes quite meaningless. So I always ask them the next time they watch a sporting event of any kind on TV, to just watch how much time the TV company or the TV program will spend building up the stories of each of the protagonists in the sport. And they do that a lot in the Olympics because you don't know these people. And suddenly you do become passionate about a a rifleman (laughs) or a fencer. (laughs) 
but they still spend a lot of time just giving you that backstory and making you want to root for them. And I think best sports books will do that. They'll give you that sense of person, the personal. But also kind of, it also feels, even just from the way you're talking about the book, it's, it almost kind of predates, you know, like the, the last couple of years, like, Netflix and Amazon have done all these flying the wall documentaries. They've done them on Manchester City. I think they did them in the All Blacks. They've done them in various teams and different sports. But mm-hmm. it's almost as like they've taken that prototype and thought that works really well because it's it's letting people see behind the curtain of what goes on. And then it's the, the story, as you say, it's the characters, it's the stories, it's the interaction of people that you only generally see for that 90 minutes or however long, whatever sport it lasts. Absolutely. And I think most of the people who are behind those documentaries will have read Friday Night Lights that'll be their leaping off point. And I think that my favorite one of all those documentaries is um, Last Chance You on Netflix, which follows youth American football players who've maybe bounced back from big universities. It hasn't quite worked out for them for one reason or another. They've got in trouble, maybe uh, drugs, failed drugs test, and they bounce back to sort of junior college level and they have to try and build their careers back up. And they do it absolutely beautifully, that backstory versus present versus the match itself. And there's something about the American football too, because it's the closest thing there is now to gladiatorial combat. It's absolutely brutal. In terms of the, the podcast, and, and I do like this point where we, we jump from a book that you couldn't recommend highly enough to one that you couldn't be paid to read again. And the choice that you've given me, I have to say, I did reply, and uh, I'm totally with you uh, on this one. And the book you've chosen is Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Oh, yeah. It was the latter that I felt when I was reading it. It was just pure punishment. It took me three months. And I was reading a lot at that point, and it took me three months to finish it. I had to, it was crawling through treacle. I just could not. Uh, and I was, I was trying, in, pre, like, in preparation for this podcast, I was trying to find out what, what was it that I didn't connect with. I just feel like it was just too, too much pain and suffering, just far too much pain and suffering. I don't know if you've watched that film Tyrannosaur recently. No. Um, oh, it's just the same. It's just unending, grim. Just out to the horizon and back. I, I took about four or five attempts to read it, and mm-hmm. I might eventually managed to finish it. And I'm, I'm not sure if it was worth the effort. And, that, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to be reading that again." Yeah, and I think it's one of those books that, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, it just it kind of makes you feel because of all the how lauded it is by the critics and academics. You think, "What's wrong with me? Why am I not getting this?" And I was reading about tonight and he said, oh, Dostoevsky had an incredible sense of structure and it's written in a flat, flat X structure. And I thought, what? <laughs> but what's the story? Because the, fir- the first part's quite good. The first, the sixth part, I think, and the first part is quite good of the central character plotting to murder the, is it a pawnbroker, a loan shark or a, a pawnbroker? That's quite interesting, the build up to that and the immediate aftermath. But for the rest of the book, I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And I had a friend who reads it every couple of years and it was him that kept going on and on about it. That's why I thought I'll, I'll eventually get there. But no, I mean, I've read some other Russian literature that's been fine, but not, not for me. Which ones would you recommend? Because I'm going to get um, Pelter from my boss, who's a massive Russian literature fan. Well, I, I, during the lockdown, I actually read War and Peace, which was, I felt a real sense of achievement, but actually it was very easy to read and very enjoyable. It did take me a while and I thought I knew it would anyway, but I, I really actually really enjoyed it. I, d- I would love to read Anna Karenina as well, because I feel it maybe has more of a narrative pulse than, more in, um, than Crime and Punishment. I always feel that's the, the beauty of books, because there will be people who are going to be listening to this shouting abuse at us because we don't like Crime, <laughs> crime and Punishment, but it's just all about opinions because you know, you're never going to get a universal agreement on anything, but that, that's, that's the great thing about it. 
Yeah, it's, it's the same with people. You sometimes will really hit it off with someone and there'll be someone that you think, I should really get on with you, but you feel you don't feel a sense of, a sense of discomfort in their presence and you can't put your finger on it. It's the same with books. There's some alchemy going on between you, your life experiences and the words on the page and you just, it's often hard to put your finger on why that you can get two chapters into the book and you think, I should, I should love this. I should love this book, but I just can't. I can't get with it. Also, sometimes as well, sometimes it can be when you read the book. Usually I, I like to give a book two or three goes. I'll maybe put it down, I'll come back to it. If it's not worked for me after the third time, I realise it's not for me. But sometimes it can be if you're maybe you're retired, it depends when you're reading it. There's a whole variety of factors that come into play. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And with this one, I, I don't know if I need to try again. But maybe I should. Maybe in retirement, I'll give it another <laughs> shot. I always feel as well that uh, there's so many books out there that you're never, you want to try and get through. So there's only so many you would read again. So if you're not, you didn't enjoy it the first time, I, I wouldn't necessarily bother wasting my time. The... But you're right. I mean, I, I recently read my brilliant friend, Neapolitan uh, novels uh, by Ferranti. Is it Ferranti? And I loved it. I thought it was fantastic because I've got a real soft spot for coming of age dramas, which is maybe why I like Friday Night Lights too. Something about that time of life that appeals to me. But I read an interview with Emma Donoghue recently who wrote The Room, the one that was um, made into a film recently, and uh, she absolutely hated it. Just couldn't get with it. Couldn't finish it. And she's like, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. She's wrong, but yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I mentioned earlier on about your, your own writing that you'd written the six book series for kids. Are you, are you still continuing to write or have you got any other ideas or plans? Ideas aren't a problem, but time is at the moment. It was quite full on with uh, a three-year-old in the house during lockdown. But I've started to, to make inroads into a new middle grade book about a boy, again, who's uh, desperate to play football. What age group would that be, middle grade? Middle grade is uh, 8 to 11, so it'd be moving up through the gears from chapter books, which is 5 to 9, 6 to 8 type thing, and middle grade would be 8 to 11, and it's about, I shouldn't give too much away really, but it's uh, a mixture between Teen Wolf and Quantum Leap. (laughs) It's just a a time-travelling sports tale. Because I should say to people who maybe aren't familiar with the Scotland Stars series, what I really liked about it was there was a real interactivity. I mean, obviously that was a deliberate, but it was more than just engaging the kids in the story. They, it was almost like they become part of the book and they become invested in it, which I think is, a, which a, again, it's just a brilliant thing to do. I've got the publishers to thank for a lot of that, but um, the central idea to have it revolve, well, some of the, it's called Scotland Stars FC because at the middle, heart of the story, there's this um, website where the, the kids can read their match reports and check out all the things that are going on with school football in Scotland. And that came from work that I've done with a fantastic organisation called Youth Football Scotland. I started out with them. I can actually trace the genesis of these books, my books, to the work I did with them. So they sent volunteer journalists from from age 13 upwards and I did it in my mid-20s because it was just something that I was really interested in and you'd go out and watch youth football and take a few pictures of the action and write up a match report and they'd publish it online the same day as the match happened or within 24 hours of the match finishing and then send a link to the club so then the boys and uh, the girls who'd been playing football would read their match report online and it was a really sneakily brilliant way to get them to engage with reading yeah, it's a great idea. Fantastic. It's really fantastic. And not only that, they, they're reaching out to kids who might not even play football and giving them experience and training in training and writing sports journalism and even do broadcast journalism, TV production with kids. It's just a, and it's fantastic, fantastic organisation. It's actually a social enterprise that generates a lot of its own income too from, uh, from now. By, <clears throat> they send out people with proper cameras now and they get beautiful action shots of kids playing football and then they sell them to the parents and clubs. Mm-hmm. So it generates some income too. 
because um, the other thing I was going to ask you about your books as well, that especially books for kids, it's so important that the look of them as well and the feel. And did you know the the girl that illustrated them, or how did you come together as a partnership? Kelpie's uh, sourced her. She's actually based in Lyon, and she Alice Morinthorn, and she write, teaches in the art college in Lyon in France. But she was into football as a kid too. Her dad was a big Man U fan, and her favourite player was Cantona. Right. And she used to sit and watch Cantona play in his pump until he retired, age twenty-eight. I've forgotten that. Uh, so it was a nice, it's a nice coming together because the central the bully. He's not a bully. He kind of softens as the book series go on. But Jordan McBride uh, walks about the corridors of his primary school with his collar up, and every time he feels a bit a bit rowdy, he puts his collar up. He's feeling a bit overcome. Confident, he'll pop his collar up. So it was nice. That Alla Cantona. Had... Exactly, exactly. That, well, that's where that came from. So I was delighted to hear that she was a massive Cantona fan. So she quite enjoyed illustrating him. Was that quite nice as well? You, you know how like uh, anybody who's, who's written a book, and then you see the book and your words, your idea, and, and book form. There's a cover, and then your name. That's the thrill. But then for you. Your what's in your imagination also comes to life through Alice's illustrations as well. That must have been great to see. That is that is one of the the best moments of the whole process of writing the books was seeing her illustrations for the first time. Absolutely, and it made you think, oh yeah, I have described them uh, well because that's exactly how they look in my head. <laughs> the way she'd captured them was was fantastic. I, I just absolutely loved her uh, her illustrations throughout the books, and she did an illustration of me for the back cover too, for the inside jacket of me and her. Instead of author photos, we've got illustrated photos, uh, illustrations great. of us both. That's quite cool. And in, in terms of anybody who's listening to the podcast, particularly if they've got young kids, uh, how what's the best way for them to go about getting the Scotland Stars FC series? Well, you can buy them from the Kelpie's website directly, or you can get them on any good online retailers. Uh, Waterstones, I think, hive.co.uk, the, the website that donates some of the money they get to independent bookshops. I always try and use Hive when I can if I'm buying online. And then, yeah, Amazon, should you need to. I can't recommend them highly enough and uh, I'm sure if you get them for, for your kids and even just for yourself, they're, they're certainly worth checking out. And we're on to the fifth and final book in this podcast for you choose, Danny, and that is either the last book that you read or the book that you're currently reading. And the book that you've chosen is Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. Yes, this is the book I read for my new book group. I've never been in a book group before and I joined one in the past couple of months and I think this was the second book we read. The first book we read was Motherwell by Deborah Orr, which is also a fantastic book, a memoir that everyone should check out, especially if you grew up in Scotland at a certain time. But this book was the second book we read uh, on the back of uh, George Floyd killing. There was a, a real want to read writing by people of colour from the States. Uh, and this is such a fantastic book. It's set in uh, rural Mississippi in the lead up to Hurricane Katrina, and it portrays a, a family kind of at breaking point just as the storm approaches through the eyes of Esh, who's a, a really strong young girl who grows up with, I think, four brothers and all their brother's friends. And there's themes of abuse in there and themes of this dog fighting in there and so much hard stuff. But the way it's presented and the way it's written about is there's so much hope, I feel, hope and, and life coming through until the storm hits and drives a stake through through the, the heart of the community but then the community starts to come together immediately again and it's just there's just something about it that made me think that oh we had that debate in the book group there's a lot of poverty there and there's a lot of hopelessness but there's just something when you live as part of a close-knit community sometimes that's just enough you don't need as much you can be i'd rather be poor and part of a really strong community than rich and lonely i think but yeah i just recommend that book to everyone the, the author is phenomenal and there's a real it's a deep feeling of unease throughout the book, but also 
it's in the body. It's really in the body. If you ever wanted, you hear writers to write about write about the senses to really get so your reader can live the experience of your characters. This is the book to read, I'd say, because she writes about the senses as well as anyone I've ever written uh, read about. Because it's interesting. I think she, when I was just doing some research beforehand, she was, I think, on the point of giving up on her writing. I think she was, you know, she was aspiring to be a writer, and I think she actually applied to become a nurse or go and study nursing. And then her book was accepted for publication, and then everything snowballed from there. And, and I love those stories because I think for any of us that write, it's that just that wee grain of hope that you just never know what's around the corner. Absolutely, um, like. Delia Owens, who wrote When the Crawdad, uh, Crawdads Sing, which is this year's or last year's big bestseller breakthrough novel. And she, that's her debut novel in her 70s. It's never too late. Never give up hope. As long as you keep writing, I think that's the thing. Just don't give up on the writing because it's like jogging. <laughs> as soon as you give up, it's hard to start again. I mean, in terms of, you, you mentioned there, joining a book group. Was that a group of people that you knew or is it just, well, how did that come about that you joined? Because I always imagine, I've never been in a book group. For me, it would feel like a, quite a big step to, to join because then you're, you're taking something that's an individual or solo passion and joining a wider community. Yeah, but it's like we talked about earlier that the book that you love could be someone else's biggest hate. And I think it forces you to defend your ideas sometimes, but also opens you up to different perspectives on the text. This book group came about from a former colleague who they were down one member and she just she remembered me saying that I'd, I'd never been in a book group and I'd love to give it a try. And uh, it's been fantastic so far. It's the whole thing of finding books that you might never otherwise have read. I don't think I'd ever have found this book had it not been for the, the group or I might not have got around to reading Motherwell either, but it brings a certain reading discipline into your life, but in a fun way. Because I was wondering if it does change the whole experience of reading because, again, it's not just you and the book because you may be conscious of what am I going to say about this? What do I think about this? Who am I going to present that to the group? And I presume it's changed the whole dynamic of, of your reading. It does. It does. You're more tuned into it. I think the way we are now, I think we can all be guilty of consuming art like content so you can read a book and be on to the next book you put one book down you just finish it and pick up the next just like you get through a box set or get through episodes on netflix or something like that so it really forces you to delve deeper into what you've experienced and really take your time with the text i think and develop a personal response to it which i think is it's quite a fun thing to do it sounds a bit heavy and against the grain of what we were saying earlier in terms of reading should be fun and not hard work but i think it's that that moment of just taking a breath and sitting with a book for a while and thinking, what do I think about this book? What has this brought up for me? Because you might not do that otherwise. You might not do that with, you might just read the book and think, oh, I really loved that. Did you ever find either when you joined the, the Scottish Book Trust or when people find out that you, that's, that's who you work for, did people either expect you to be well-read or to have certain opinions about certain books? Because I always remember when, when I, I joined Celtic, so the week, say the week before I joined, and I'm just in, in the pub with my friends, and we're talking about football, and my opinion is as, as valid or as invalid as everybody else's. I felt like a week after I joined, somebody, because I was working for football clubs, people were looking at me as if I was the font of all knowledge. I thought, I've not changed. <laughs> and I wonder if it's the same thing. Some people maybe look, you know, think, well, you must, you must know everything about books because that's who you work for. As I said, I was a lapsed reader, and I'm a university dropout, so did two years of a course that I hated and just dropped out. So I'm not, but I do work with a lot of English Lit graduates, whereas I've got huge gaps, especially in the classics. I've got huge gaps in, in what I've read and what I haven't. I've not read, like, full confessional, why not? I've not read any Dickens. I've not read Harry Potter. I've not read some of the other classics. I've not read Austen. Just not. But I have, I think, been a bit of a magpie and picked out books that I've loved. And it's, I've never, I guess, been told what to read 
So I've just followed my own passion, which I think stood me in good stead. And I've got all these books to, to, to still enjoy in the future at some point. Um, but I, I mean, I've read hundreds of books, but I've just, I do have big gaps. But I think that's fine. I don't feel bad about it. There was maybe a bit of trepidation starting Scottish Book Trust and there's certain conversations you can't take part in. But if someone says, uh, sparks off a conversation in the kitchen about how incredible Rebecca is, it's important not to go, I've not read it, but I'll pretend and I'll just nod and uh, <laughs> keep quiet and just go, mm, 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 mm. But instead I think, well, tell me about it because I'd love to read it. So I'll go off and read it. Also, um, I, I, I guess from your job and, and that role, particularly, you know, it's key that you're trying to encourage especially young people to, to read. You're coming from a place where you can maybe relate to because it's not been, for want of a better phrase, not an easy journey in terms of reading. As you say, you, you start off in a house of books and you read, then you kind of go away from it and you come back. And that experience will help you relate to other young people that maybe going through that or you know you can understand it and you can talk to them because you've it's not just been as you say just not reading everything and anything all the time i feel that is true and i, I share that uh, lived experience with the why uh, and children's author phil earl i don't know if you're aware of his stuff but he wrote a, an adaptation and of sorts of um danny champion of the world called demolition dad where the central character and his dad his dad becomes a he wants his dad to become a pro wrestler and they come from a a working class town in East Yorkshire. And he, he had the same experience. He, he gave up on reading for a bit and then came back to it. And I think that's right. I could almost feel, like you say, I can empathize with him because I can almost remember the point when reading came back into my life and I could feel it re-entering my bloodstream <laughs> in some ways. I almost remember that point of it beginning to come back into my life and making it so much richer than it had been before. And now looking back, I think I feel like there are rooms within me that will never open now because I did have that reading gap as a teen. Like, as I say, I came to Kerouac maybe a bit too late and there's some books I would have loved to have read as a teen. And there are some books I wish that had been around when I was a teen. Like Boy Racers by Alan Bissett, I would have absolutely gobbled that book up as a teen, but I was never pointed in its direction. So yeah, I can truly relate to them. And I just, yeah, as I say, there's parts of me that I think would have lit up had I read as a teen. But at the same time, it's given me that insight into reluctant readers of any age and think I was in your shoes and it's brought so much to me. And now I want this for you. So I try and bring that to my events and schools. And I suppose the other thing, just in terms of your own reading, you, you mentioned earlier on you cycle to what, obviously, you've a, a young family. Is it just trying to fit your own reading in and around daily life, as it were? Yeah, it's tricky. My daughter's an early riser, so it's quite hard to find that time. But you can always make time. You can always make time. If you can get through a whole box set of Last Chance You on Netflix, or you can watch the whole season of whatever it is, then you can find time to read, I think. It's just about repurposing your downtime. Well, listen, Danny, uh, sadly, we've come to the end of the podcast. If anybody wants to check out Danny's book choices and the universal agreement that we have that you should never read Crime and Punishment again, even if somebody offers to pay you, uh, you can go to my website, www.com paulcuddy.com every guest on the podcast has their own page and i've just listed each of their, their book choices but i have to say danny it's been a real joy i've really enjoyed chatting to you about uh, your favorite and not so favorite books ah oh, thanks very much for having me on it's been an absolute pleasure thanks very much thanks for listening to the read all about it podcast and i'd love to hear what you've thought about it you can get in touch via twitter at read all about 20 on Instagram at readallaboutitpodcast, or you can send an email to readallaboutit at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. 
And in the meantime, keep reading.